Welcome to Gender Meowster Podcast Network. Genderful is a talk show featuring non-binary and trans folks discussing various topics and special interests. We kindly remind our listeners that no person is a monolith of identities. All opinions are the speaker's own. This show airs live on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash gender meowster and VODs with show notes can also be found on YouTube. So hello everyone. My name is Gender Master. I use they them pronouns. This is my channel slash podcast. And I'm really grateful to have a very cool guest as my guest today. Hello, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Jay Dragon. I am a queer game designer and publisher and I write uh, tabletop role-playing games all about community, liminality, identity, and the magic of the mundane. It is such a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We have a, a question in the chat that I would love to ask you right mm-hmm. off the bat since we're doing intros. <laughs> Ninja Wolf is here to stay, asks, may I ask why no pronouns? Sorry if that's a weird question. Not a weird question at all. I don't use, so I don't use pronouns if possible. That means like, I'll, if you must, they, them will do. It's just, I, I am, I prefer basically like the constructing sentences without using my pronouns. And that has come. And also to answer a question that's on that sheet there, what's my history with gender that's come after about being out as trans in one form or another. And like thinking about my gender since like 2012. And it's really just, I don't like the way people use pronouns. If I don't trust them, I don't, I feel like pronouns much like names give people a certain degree of power over me. And I like to control that. And also it's fun to watch journalists and folks writing about me have to struggle a little bit. It's like the respectful struggle. If my pronouns are too easy, I get, they start taking it for granted. I'm like, no, listen, I'm trans. (laughs) This isn't going to be super easy for you. And I want it to be a little tricky. Yeah. I love that. If it ever gets too easy, maybe I'll figure out something else. But I like it for now. It's a good, I can tell when someone has respect on my name. Yeah, totally. So the the not having pronouns is also a journey. For anyone writing about you. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. There's some good <laughs> style guides online on how to talk about people without using pronouns. It's if you look back, you, if you'll see my close friends use pronouns for me and that's totally fine. But my thing is always I'm not I, I, I don't want there are most pronouns I'm not OK with. And increasingly, it's like when I stick with one pronoun for too long, I get sick of it. Like I got sick of he, him. I got sick of she, her. I got sick of they, them. I got, I tried out and then got sick of a bunch of different neo pronouns. And so it's no, there's none of that. (laughs) If you know me well enough to know what pronouns you should be using, you'd know. Otherwise, keep some respect on my name. I love that so much. I also feel as, at least for me as a trans person, like I picked my name. It wasn't Mm -hmm. my name signed at birth. I put a lot of thought into it. And so someone using your name... For using my name, at least for me, is like the most respectful thing someone could do sometimes because mm-hmm. it's like I spent so much time coming up with that. I think for me, I kind of view names. <laughs> I have a complicated relationship with names. I have many based on the circumstances and the sociality. Jay is my public name. It's the name I wear out in public, mm-hmm. like a nice coat. But I have other names too. They're just not for most folks to use. And I like that because it, uh, it it keeps a little, I, 
it keeps a little barrier between myself and others. And it also, I feel like critically, if I, if people are going to know one thing about my gender, right, it's that they don't quite get it. I want people to be a little on their toes and having multiple names, not using pronouns, like having a, a long entangled gender story all serves for that same. You don't know me as well as you think you do. <laughs> I love that. That's so fun. So speaking of neo-pronouns, I'm 100% jumping like four topics ahead. The first thing I noticed about this incredible book that you wrote that I now own. <laughs> it's like Home, my the first, <laughs> yes, Wonder Home, the wonderful, the first like example with people in it has all the people have neo pronouns in it. Yes. It's so cool. Yeah. Mm hmm. I remember yeah. reading that. I just wanted to cry. It was so beautiful. Yeah, that was the examples of play. So for, for those who don't know, Wander Home is a pastoral fantasy tabletop game about traveling animal folk as they journey through a magical, beautiful world. Uh, it's a tabletop role-playing game. So part of what it has are these examples of play, which are these like paragraphs show, showing what it's like to play the game. And one thing that's true throughout, throughout sort of all of Wanderhome's design was that we put a lot of work into making it look like there wasn't much work put in at all. To the point where I've had people ask me like, oh, have you considered releasing more excerpts of playing games with your friends, like the examples of play? And no, those are completely fabricated. We made up those examples. We chose every single name purposefully. We chose the pronouns purposefully. We are, they're fabricated because it was important to us, first off, that from the exact moment you pick up the book from the first few pages there are people like you and also that uh play is bigger than how most people think of it right when most people talk about a lot of tabletop games or even like when designers think about tabletop games oftentimes they're not thinking about like the folk who don't really want to play who can't really talk that much and just want to sit and do a drawing or people who don't have the energy to consistently engage at a, like a complex level that some games require. And so I wanted Wander Home literally from the first few pages to be like, hey, this is a game that what it means to play this game is different than maybe what, what your preconceived notion of what playing a game means if you're only familiar with Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of mm -hmm. wonderful differences, I would say. <laughs> I hope so. We try our best. So let's see, before we dive into all of the more questions I have about Wander Home more in depth, mm -hmm. you've described a little bit of what Wander Home is. Can you tell us what a pastoral fantasy is? Yeah. So pastoral fantasy refers to um, a particular genre of fantasy that has uh, somewhat fallen out of style in, in 21st century American literature. Think a lot about, certainly Wind in the Willows is an example. Parts of Redwall go there. I think also a very classic example is like when you think of the Shire and the Hobbit or even just Tolkien's investment in describing scenery first in these beautiful places that you're you're traveling through. It's a focus on the daily lives of the people who live there. It's a focus on small folk like shepherds and poets and mailmen and all the jobs that normally get overlooked. And it's a focus much more on small communities and their relationship to their land than it is on war and epic conquest and vast sense of scale. Moomins is another good example of pastoral fantasy. It's it's honestly, it's like drinking water. It feels like drinking water compared <laughs> to like other TTRPG stuff that I've done. It's so mm -hmm. refreshing. Yeah, I'm so glad. That's the, that's the goal really is to make something that 
I don't know. I wrote it at a point where it was like, I really want something that is easy for me. I want something that feels refreshing, that feels relaxed, that feels encompassing. And it managed to deliver on that for me. And I'm, I'm grateful that it's done that for other people too. So when I was creating a character with my friend last night, because you have the PDF and the book, and you can even buy a bundle where you get the PDF and the books in the mail, which is like so great. My friend was using the PDF last night. And one of the first things that they noticed was that there's alt text in the picture. I've never seen that done in any Mm -hmm. tabletop PDF I've ever bought. And I just think that is so Mm -hmm. cool. So the secret of alt text, and one of the things I think is really interesting about it, a lot of people comment on the alt text. I think the reason for it is because it is a sign of accessibility that non the people who don't need screen readers notice easily. The truth of the matter is that the reason you don't see that many PDFs with alt text is because it's pretty hard to set up a PDF to be screen reader compatible. Mm-hmm. And if you have alt text, but your PDF isn't set up that way, the alt text is completely useless. So there was a lot of work on the back end done. We have a consultant who worked with us in order to make the PDF accessible. We spent a lot of time making sure that when you read it on a screen reader, it all flows properly. And it took a lot of my business partner, Grubby, who also did all the graphic design. She spent you know months figuring out that component along with everything else she was doing and designing with that in mind. And yeah, alt text in the PDF was part of that, was having the images when you mouse over them, you'll see text descriptions. And I, I had to write all of those. They were a combination of artist briefs and just me trying my best to describe what was there. And yeah, that was like I spent about, I think a whole day just writing all that out into a Google Doc and then sending that over to, to, to Grubby. What a great use of a day. I think that not only is alt text great for screen readers, for me as someone with ADHD and autism, it helps mm-hmm. me draw my attention to the important parts of the picture. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. what is notable about this and hearing mm-hmm. from one of the creators or one of the collaborators on an image, like this is the important part of the image <laughs> or like it'll, mm-hmm. it'll point mm-hmm. out things that I didn't even notice. It's like Mm -hmm. important to the image, but I didn't pick up on. And so Mm -hmm. I feel like it's also like a neurodivergent accessibility Mm -hmm. piece, too. One of the critical things about accessibility is that, you know, there's this concept that shows up a lot when discussing accessible design, which is that you have your your primary audience who you are helping, and then you have secondary audiences who are also helped. And when discussing, like, how do you design something accessible, you're thinking not only, like, how can this be helpful for someone who needs it on this level, but who also needs it, you know, in a different way that you can't anticipate. And so it was a really cool thing we got to do. I'm really grateful that the Kickstarter was able to, we were able to, we were able to make it all work out with the Kickstarter. And it's a really, it adds, I think, a lot to the PDF. Even just to, to know that a couple lizards in the background of an image are gay. That's all you need. Uh, or, or, yeah, that was really intentional. I was worried actually that it was too subtle because Sleepaway, my last project was not subtle at all. But then I got a letter from from a mom who wanted a refund because the book wasn't family friendly. And I realized that I'd done a good enough job and I had made it gay enough to, to upset her. And if I could upset her, then I was happy. That's so amazing. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. To clarify for folks, the book is completely family friendly. She was upset over the presence of neo pronouns and the use of the word queer at one component and things like that. I'm also excited to talk about Sleepaway in a handful of minutes. 
Mm-hmm. I, I know mm-hmm. less about that game. So we'll do that as yeah. our, our section two. So Trans Capybara has a follow-up question to you describing the alt text. How do you test the PDF with a screen reader? Do you have a suggested screen reading software? I do not have a suggested software. I don't use screen readers, so I don't know what's best. Our consultant is blind and uses, oh, excuse me. I don't actually know whether or not she's blind, but she needed to use a screen reader. And through that, we were able to basically send it over to her. She took a look at it or she she read through it and was like, hey, this isn't, hey, this part isn't reading properly or this part isn't reading properly or like this is working. And we were able to take all that, apply all that. We also had, and also again, this is all my business partner's work. I, I am just simply the person who supported her while she had a bajillion tabs on uh, accessibility in layout open and was researching it but we followed we followed the accessibility guidelines we followed color contrast guidelines we followed like screen reader the nice thing about all of this is that you're not the first people to ever need to figure out how to make a document screen reader accessible there there are guidelines mm-hmm. that have been written up 30 years ago on how to make pdfs accessible to screen readers and so we're just following all of that uh, and we're just applying stuff that's been figured out then and you know, utilizing it in our document and running it, running, checking with our consultant to make sure stuff is coming up. I love that. Mm-hmm. So someone in the chat is also mentioning another form of accessibility, um, an insect phobia friendly version of the game. Do you, was that part of the core book? Is that third party content? Yep. Can you tell us more about that? Uh, nope. That's part of the core book. If you download the PDF, you will get access to three PDFs or sorry, Four in total, but three of which are the same text. You get the PDF of the book itself. You get the insectophobe-friendly version where every single instance of a bug has a little little blank screen over it to cover it up. It's not perfect. I'm a little unhappy with that version, but I think it, it does the job. I want to revisit it when we update the PDF for typos. Again, <laughs> the work is never done. And then there is also a black and white uh, printer-friendly version that if you need to print out a large chunk of the book for a research paper, who knows why you need to print out your copy of Wander Home on a home printer. But if you do need to, uh, there is a black and white-friendly version that's been formatted to fit letter paper and all the images have been, all the art has been removed. So we have a follow-up question on that from Gemethist. Is there a Wander Home plain text edition or PDF? Are there plans to be one? I'm thinking of friends with dyslexia who might struggle with a beautiful font. So the one that I just mentioned, the black and white version is, I think, probably where you want to land. We don't have a plain text version at this time. That's because it, it is, if you've ever tried to export something from a PDF to a text file, you will understand why it is slightly more labor intensive than it might seem. And then also we do, it is on our list of things we'd like to get done. But right now our big thing has been, it's, it's, there are many, there are many different moving parts. The answer is we have this black and white one for now. It, if it helps at all, the vast majority of the text is not in the cover font as you're familiar with. That is just a a title font. Yes. May I show a page to display the font? Yes, please go for it. Okay. I've randomly uh, opened also... to Metropolis. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So the font... Uh, and then if you go to the back of the book, like Grubby has written a whole little thing about the fonts we use. Remember, it is Luminari for the headers, which is a uh, NCL-esque font inspired by 15th century Italian manuscripts. And then the body font is Arno Pro, 
uh, which is a very classical 16th century, also Italian font, if I remember correctly. Yeah, 15th, 16th century Florence. There's, I, Grabby could talk much more about the fonts than I can. I certainly watched her figure it all out, but my business partner, she's the expert. She's at Ruby Lavin on Twitter and she has done, she's working on an article right now about the fonts and art direction of Wanderhelm. And so when that comes out, that'll have much more information. Thank you. Yeah. It's such a gorgeous book. Mm-hmm. Like the art is so good. How many artists worked on it? Uh, 15. <laughs> and then Ruby was the art director. So she coordinated and brought everything together from there. We had 15 different artists from Malaysia to Sweden. Shout out to Ruby. She is uh, my queen. <laughs> I love that. I love that mm-hmm. so much. I will also say trans capybara in response to your question about whether or not the source text should be in LaTeX. I did not need you. That is the most computer programmer thought <laughs> I've ever seen. I'm I'm not going to. It's not my. That's the most computer programmer thought I've ever seen. That's my, uh, that's please, my wife. <laughs> in, in, in five words. Tell me you're a software engineer. She is. <laughs> yeah, no, that is no. I actually used to write in LaTeX. For those unfamiliar, LaTeX is a programming language designed <laughs> to export very nice looking documents that I used to write in that when I was in high school. And I stopped because it managed to have the perfect mix of impossible for other people to edit. And it it was all the fun of debugging software with all the uh, inaccessibility of sending someone an InDesign file. It was perfectly suited for none of my needs, but uh, it does (laughs) seem very beautiful. That is a really funny way to put that. (laughs) Perfectly suited for none of your needs. It's really Mm -hmm. great. It's about as far up as I can reach too. For those hearing the podcast episode who have not, who are on audio. I just had top surgery and this is my first stream back from that. So I have T-Rex arms today. It's very funny. I'm having so much fun with this conversation. Okay. So my next question for you is what game system is Wanderhome based on and how did you decide? So Wanderhome is built on the belong outside belonging system or no dice, no masters built by Avery Alder and Benjamin Rosenbaum for Dream Askew and Dream Apart, which I first got my hands on in 2014 and came out in 2017 or 2018. Dream Askew and Dream Apart are two games about a community at the margins. Dream Askew is a post-apocalyptic queer commune, and Dream Apart is a Jewish shuttle. And both of them are really wonderful, beautiful games, and also critically outline the structure that Wanderhome, the kind of the very base structure that Wanderhome riffs on. And I think I write in Belonging Outside Belonging. That is kind of my first system when I write games that aren't B.O.B., I have to ask myself, like, would this be better off as B.O.B. first? That's always the question I ask. I really enjoy it because, first off, it is very easy for me to write in. It is a, writing for B.O.B. is almost like uh, game mechanics, it's almost like game mechanics are poetry and verse. And so leaning into that rhythm is much more comfortable for me than having to deal with the kind of mechanically precise language that a lot of game design calls for. I think also, yeah, it's a very, it's a very beautiful, it's a very simplistic system. And Wanderhome tweaks it in order to fit kind of the themes of Wanderhome, but the core idea, right? The of no dice, no, no GM as a no no baseline assumption there is a GM. And the rhythm of the tokens as you take them and you pass them, the that kind of staccato beat forming the the punctuation for the play was really critical for me. Yes, it also, as John East says, makes it so smooth to create custom content for it as well. That's also super accurate, is that it's, pro- it's focus on language as mechanics, the way in which, like, 
the words you use are the most are like more important than like exactly what the mechanics do or the mechanics being very rules light and the the language you use being the critical part means Mm -hmm. that's very comfortable for new people to get into it or folks who are more familiar from traditional writing literary work poetry it means that bob is very grounding in that sense just have to take my medicine right quick no worries (laughs) so very smart to have a robot that reminds you yes 100 Mm percent. so my one of the things that i noticed about the game the phrase no dice no masters totally is a dead ringer for it like you don't use dice to play this game and mm-hmm. you can play it GMless. You can play it GMless. Mm-hmm. You can play it with rotating GMs, or you can have a GM. Mm-hmm. Those are like three mm-hmm. different options. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll have mm-hmm. you know, I read most of your book while camping over two different camping trips. <laughs> Aw, that's so, a pretty ideal spot to read it. So. Totally, there was mm-hmm. no hammocks that I was in, but mm-hmm. there were campfires mm-hmm. and marshmallows. Mm-hmm. There's nowhere else I could ask to read it, so that's good. <laughs> Yeah, no, Wanderhome uses a, what I, I call it GM agnostic. It's pretty new. There's not really a ton of people doing stuff with it. Uh, I got the idea from Balak Bayan Returning Home, which is a beautiful B.O.B. game about elemental elementals from Filipino tradition, you know, Filipino magic and tradition existing in this cyberpunk Shadowrun-esque corporate future. And it uses that same GM, GM agnostic approach. And Jami got it from the same, developed it for the same reason I ended up using it, which is GMless play can be tricky if there's an asymmetrical level of experience at the table, right? If one person is much more comfortable than the other players are. Mm -hmm. And that's the origin. That's not the origin of GM'd play, but I think that's part of what led to its popularity for a while is that GM'd play is very forgiving if there's one person who knows what they're doing and a bunch of people who feel like they don't know what they're doing. Totally. And the secret, of course, is that there's no such thing as knowing what you're doing. There is simply the act of play in its mm-hmm. miraculous occurrence. But I think that people really enjoy feeling like there is a guide, someone who's there to stabilize them and be like, hey, don't worry, walk along. You're, you've got this. And the reason it's GM agnostic partially is because I wanted to give space for folks who do want GM to play, but also because I wanted to emphasize that that uh, there is no correct way to play the game. And that Mm -hmm. kind of extends even to that level, where if you're going to, if you've got a GM, if you don't, if you have multiple GMs, if you're all GMing, however you want to frame it, it's still within the game. There's no, you know, need to, it's all encompassed there. My, my friend that was going through the character creation last night looked at a list of four options and was like, am I allowed to pick a fifth option? And I was like, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, it's very written. Your the suggestions that you include are like specific but open-ended somehow at the mm-hmm. same time and mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. totally gives permission to the players to, and the creators mm-hmm. and the the people interacting with this to just do whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's enough information that if people are not feeling creative, there's options. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, so absolutely. cool. And as I as I as I put it earlier, it took a lot of work to it, it takes a lot of work to make things seem easy. <laughs> it is very easy to make something seem hard. It is incredibly easy to make something appear hard. It is much harder to make something appear easy. And there was it took about two months to write Wander Home, and it took about six months to edit wander home or even eight months to edit Mm -hmm. wander home it it was easy to make it was i wrote the game somewhat quickly i edited the game it took a long time and it took a lot of editors and it took a lot of going through 
Did you know that there is a Wander Home Discord server? I do. I am. I am aware. Trouser Mouse, who runs it, is a uh, delight of a person, and I. I am not in it because it feels a little invasive for me to be joining fan spaces. I want people to have their own environments, but I'm a big fan of the Wander Home Discord. I hope they have fun there. <laughs> there are 729 people in it right now, which is Ooh, That's amazing. bigger than the last time someone told me that number. Wow. Yeah, that's a pretty good number. <laughs> yeah, it seems it's pretty popular. And I, I love yeah. the, like, Treasure Mouse is just one of many people doing third-party content. For mm-hmm. There's a whole yes. community of yeah. people that are really geeking out hard about like making mm-hmm. new natures and new playbooks and stuff. Yeah. That's yeah. So cool. That was really critical to me. When we did the Kickstarter part of one of the, the stretch goals was the Haith Grant, which was a, we set aside about $11,000 to distribute among 40 to 50 creators and be like, here's 300, here's 300. Excuse me, there's 300, 400, $500. Make your thing. Go out into the world. Make what you're going to make. If if you finish it, publish it, please. It's all yours. If you don't finish it, that's okay. That's fine. No no stress. We're not, this isn't an, an assignment. This is a, a grant. And a lot of the initial stuff that came out of Wander Home third-party stuff was from those folks. And a lot of other folks have gotten involved too, which I really adore. It was really important to us that we really prioritized like, hey, we're not trying to make like a cool book. And then that's it. We're trying to make a space for lots of folks to come together for a lot of different reasons. And also a uh, credit to Nem over at Sandy Pug Games and the Sandy Pug Games team for the original idea of a Kickstarter grant community fund sort of work. I don't think the Monster Care Squad paved the way for uh, Wonder Home to be able to do what we did with the Haith Grant. So thank you there. And for context, for folks who are just learning about Wonder Home today, Haith is the name of your... Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. The good old Haith. Yeah, and we I, we named it the Haith Grant. I hope to expand it to other stuff. I would love to... We're, we're going to continue to do stuff like that for our future Kickstarters as well, especially if they... Especially if our Kickstarters really succeed. And I hope to... I have big dreams in my heart of someday just having a, a, a small grant fund to be able to support creators and be like, hey, you've never done a Kickstarter before. You can't afford cover art. Here, get some cover art, make that Kickstarter a reality. It's that sort of, that kind of work is something that I really want to uh, put into the world long-term in the future. What a wonderful legacy. I hope so. I hope it comes together. That's the danger of dreams. You can't get too attached to them, but I get attached to them. I hear that. Do you have a playbook that you enjoy a lot? Um, favorite, favorite might be too strong a word because they're probably all your favorite, but... Is there one that you enjoy a lot this week or maybe a handful? My favorite to play is the ragamuffin. If you give me free choice, I will always pick to be the ragamuffin. Or perhaps uh, the veteran is the other character who I will free choice pick. I think the veteran is also my favorite artistically, like in terms of what they're doing like to the book as an art object. I really love the veteran, especially the veteran seventh play is really something special. And then uh, I think design, game design wise, the uh, the Moth Tender, I think is my favorite just because I think it, it adds so much every single time the Moth Tender is in a game. I think that was a moment with the playbooks where I was like, oh, hey, this is a playbook that I think figures it all out. Yeah, that's the veteran. That's my grumpy uncle of a child. I love it so mm-hmm. much. Moth you tender wield the is blade so that must never be drawn again. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that came up in a one shot I attempted. So... 
Mm-hmm. I, I want to tell you a story. So I was camping mm-hmm. and reading the book and I was with my friends and we had a week. But we put off playing mm-hmm. the game until the, the day before the last day mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we're having so much fun doing it. Mm-hmm. And we ended up having so much fun with like character creation and learning the rules that we mm-hmm. didn't actually get mm-hmm. to playing. <laughs> we spent two hours reading the book and making characters. And then everyone's like, time mm-hmm. to go swim in a creek. And it's like, okay. <laughs> and then we didn't <laughs> play. And I was like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. So do mm-hmm. you have any tips for folks that want to run a one shot? What do you focus on? Is there anything maybe you skip? In my case, like no one had ever played a tabletop game before ever. Mm-hmm except for me and maybe my wife a little tiny bit. And so it was like a bunch of newbies. Yeah, I know how I run it for... So I've run Wander Home for a lot of folks. If your goal is to get to playing as quick as possible, I think the best tip is get people to choose their characters and be thinking about their characters as soon as possible. And then ask them a lot of leading questions and just really take us a firm facilitator role. Because I think that those long, the long character creation sessions happen when there's not really anyone, like when it's very meandering. However, Mm -hmm. uh, I will say it sounds like you all had a lot of fun. And I don't, if that's, if that is what is fun for you, I know people who just enjoy main characters from Wander Home and that's fine too. I, I think that in my experience, the trick to getting to to getting to to play in a timely manner is to uh, step up and be a, be a, be, a, be a facilitator that helps keep things rolling. But if you don't want to, that's okay too. It, you can just make characters and find satisfaction that way. But yeah, when I ran it with my mom and her friends, which for context, my mom is not someone who plays tabletop games. Not, none of her friends are. Uh, the way I did it was like, let's get them choosing characters as soon as I can. Let's uh, let's and I try to. When running it for folks, especially folks who aren't, what do you call? Like who aren't, how do I put it? Like when I think about folks my age, it's a little easier to run stuff for them. Folks our age where it's, I am familiar with the media and emotional references outside games that these people might be familiar with that I can use to help buffet them along as I teach them how to play. When I'm running games for folks who are very old or very young, I think a lot about what are their reference points in terms of the stories they've told before and the stories mm-hmm. they've consumed mm-hmm. and how can I make it easy for them. And so for old for older folks, The way I oftentimes try to do it is I try to frame it as like, uh, I kind of, I I explain to them very quickly, like I guess, and my mom's friends are certainly the boomer version of nerds. This is easier with them, but it's commuted a latte. The idea of, yeah, the moth tender is always the moth tender, but let's figure out what makes your moth tender unique. And I think that helps older folks in a little bit more. And then very young folks, I try to take a very opposite approach where it's, tell me about your character. Oh, it sounds like your character might be a vagabond. Let's do Mm -hmm. that. Like I flip the switch totally with younger folks. And yeah, so it's, it's, how do you run it for a group? You got to know, you got to feel what's right, what's right for your style and also for that group. I love that. We created a very fun nature that I would love to see art for sometime. And maybe we'll Uh, we'll play over Zoom or something sometime. Hell yeah. Heck yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Are there fillable character sheets for Wander Home? Yes. People never know where to find them. They're always on the Itch.io page. There are form fillable PDFs. Some wonderful folks have also made some Google Sheets, if that's more your style. Uh, but you can get those off of the Wander Home Itch.io page. And we're going to get them up on our website soon. It's just been a long year. Plenty, uh, plenty of things to do. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And the thing about running a small business that they don't tell you is that there's no such thing as getting all your work done 
It is no, just, it, it's a lot like in those video games that where it's like overcooked, where it's like you're preparing meals. And the goal is not to win. It's to keep up as the meals pile on higher and see how long you can make it before the incoming orders crush your little chef. And that's what running a small business is like, is that you're not trying to get all your work done. You're trying to stay ahead on the stuff that needs to get done today and on the stuff that needs to get done this week and to be aware of the stuff that needs to get done next month. Yeah. When I started Twitch streaming, I didn't sleep enough hours. I was sleeping like four to six hours a night. So spending like 18 hours a day Mm -hmm. on my, my, overlay learning about bots like all Mm -hmm, kinds of stuff mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it's such a good description of owning your own like small business or being an independent contractor it's like the work never Mm -hmm. ends i think what i've learned is one getting help is really helpful Mm -hmm. if there are people who are willing to help you for free or for pay or Mm -hmm. getting Mm -hmm. paid in baked goods or tabletop games or whatever take Mm -hmm. the help where you can get it ask for help oh for sure as much as possible and two have work-life balance and have days that you Mm -hmm. don't schedule things on that you can just be a person and sleep enough yes everything else is harder if you're not sleeping enough yes that is also agonizingly true yeah mirami asks how long has wonder home been out now The PDF has been out since April, and the book came out at the start of August, I think. It's been a couple months, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. That's so cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I already know in my head what are the next big projects, but it's hard because for me, Wander Home has been done since December. But for everyone else, Wander Home got done a couple months ago. So mm-hmm. I'm already not chomping at the bit to, to get to the next big thing. And everyone else is, oh, what? But I just got this one. I had one unpleasant person who does not like me for other reasons. A, a comment on a article announcing our upcoming releases with, what do you call it? Slow down so everyone else gets a chance to breathe. And I was just like, <laughs> No, uh, out of spite for this particular guy, I will not slow down. Logan, we're all hi, a Logan, big fan. welcome. Yes, mm-hmm. I have played Jamless Water Home with people who know what they're mm-hmm. doing with, and by that they have enough confidence in themselves because they played some tabletop games. That's really mm-hmm. what it is, and yeah, um, that's all you need. That's that's yeah, it's confidence. Yeah, the tricky mm-hmm. bit is we we keep having to schedule two or three months out to play a game to play a one shot because. When you're good at tabletop, people want your attention. So uh, That's why my approach for scheduling games will always be I announce that I want to play a game in the morning and then I see who can make it in the evening. And if someone's busy every night, then I'm so sorry. But that's been my tactic. And it's a little, it's a little, it's a little, I, I can find three people who can play now. <laughs> Do mm-hmm. I always find my three favorite people to play with? Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. If I really want to play a game, can I find three people in an hour? Yeah, I can, I can put out the feelers. Yeah. Worst case scenario, I know folks who are always busy, who are always free, where I'm just like, hey, are you free right now? Mm-hmm. get over here this instant i have a yes. game we need to play immediately <laughs> i love that oh so much fun i've mm-hmm. also been like really grateful Incan stories here in the chat has actually mm-hmm. organized some of these games like called everyone together and mm-hmm. been like let's mm-hmm. do the thing and i can tell you there's been multiple times that ink and i have sat down and made characters together because my reading comprehension that day was just 
crap. <laughs> I was just yeah, like, I'm not sure. parsing the information. I need someone to hold my hand. And Logan mm-hmm, has mm-hmm. been kind enough to hold my hand. Logan's also been a guest on the show and is a total delight. Yeah. And yeah, just made an autobiographical tabletop game called I Logan. Know. I'm so excited to read it. I have not yet had the chance to, but I'm very excited to check it out. It's so cool. Uh, it is high on my uh, list of things I have to read. So excited. Yeah. Okay, so my my last explicitly wander home question, and then we have a bunch of other questions. Mm-hmm. Is who generally seems interested in wander home? Is there a target demographic? We have found there are folks who are. We have found demographics. We we have a joke of like it's for all queer people, dads, and like teenage girls and that is not like (laughs) fully accurate but that is in my experience of folks who get really hyped about wander home it's like men who have had a child and that's forced them to unlearn some of their toxic masculinity all queer people except for the ones who are a little too insecure to go with stuff that like like we're like no it must be edgy it must be dark and I'm like, ah, just confront some confront the ache of slowly learning to heal from your trauma with me. It's okay. And then it's <laughs> and then yeah, like those are the main groups. But we don't have a targeted demographic. I write for myself and my friends. If I like it and my friends like it, then I'm probably onto something. And I'm sure there'll be other people who like it too. I write for my campers and my summer camp. And I just I don't really think a lot about, oh, I have to be selling to this demographic. Because in my experience, when you have a really strong idea of who your core demographics are, you lose out on everyone else. Hmm. And I would much rather just make things and put them out into the world and trust that if I just my priority is get it in front of many people and see who see who's excited and not stress about, oh, do, you know, who's the audience for this? I'm just like, it exists. It'll find its audience. I know. I believe in it. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. My my next question pivots to some of the more biography type questions that we discussed. What about your experience with trauma healing and its intersections with gender? Do you mm-hmm. want to share a bit about that? You mentioned it a second ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. So a lot of uh, the work I do outside of games in my personal life with my local community and the research I do has to do a lot with like, I'm no expert by any means, although I hope to someday know enough to call myself one, but I study a lot of transformative justice. I study a lot of like, (laughs) I guess, I don't know, like a a lot of critical philosophy, a lot of looking at trauma and trauma analysis and ACA or 12-step research or 12-step philosophy, trying to make something that feels coherent to me. My roommate is even heavier into that stuff than I am. They are like very deep in that whole kind of sphere. And I learn from them a lot. And I don't know, Wander Home is very much about that. Like, I feel like a lot of Wander Home is about what does it mean to learn to heal, which is a very, I think, difficult question to think about in a world that is structurally unable to heal. And so a lot of the work I do is really invested in what, what could it look like to do that? And yeah, that's my, (laughs) my, my work on that front is I'm not much of a, I don't care much for therapy on a institutional level. I'm much more interested in, I guess, I think the way my roommate put it that I thought was very smart was there's a difference between healing and getting better. And we're taught that those are the same, which makes it really hard to understand what does it mean to heal because we can't distinguish healing from getting better. And so a lot of the work I do is what does it mean to heal without necessarily stressing about 
getting better. I really appreciate that distinction. That's lovely to consider. Yeah. Because if you think about it in terms of what is overwhelmingly the goal of a lot of, for example, exposure therapy, like in the context of OCD work, oftentimes the context of exposure therapy with OCD, when especially when done by folks who are trained but have an ulterior motive, is uh, a lot to do with getting someone to behave neurotypically as quickly as possible. Exactly, Logan. And better has a different definition, especially under capitalism. Yeah, better frequently refers to performing better and acting neurotypically. And so and acting healthily. And what is, how can we get you back in the workforce? And to me, the critical question becomes, what is, what does it mean to heal without worrying about getting better? As opposed to, what does it mean, you know, as opposed to the overwhelming model being getting better without healing? Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's, that felt like a punch in the stomach, but in the best way. (laughs) I think a lot about that. So I have, I'll give you a second to sip your ginger ale or something. (laughs) I have chronic pain and identify as a person with an invisible disability because Mm -hmm. you can't see pain unless you're like my spouse and you've learned to read it on my face. But it's not something, Mm -hmm. it's not as obvious as like some other disabilities. And I remember when we were getting, getting engaged this is topical because mm-hmm. our wedding anniversary is this Sunday, actually. We we're going to engage. I kept saying to her, what if I, I'm working on healing, but I may never get better. I may never just suddenly mm-hmm. be more able-bodied than I am today. Mm-hmm. This might just be the status quo forever. And mm-hmm. are you really okay marrying into that? Because mm-hmm. I don't want a partner who thinks I'm a project and I'm going to just get better and be more productive magically eventually. Because then there's just going to be a ton of resentment and there's all this, I know I have to mm-hmm. get better so that I'll be loved. And that's, thankfully, she was mm-hmm. not about mm-hmm. any of those things. It was just like, I love you for you. And if you never changed at all, that would be fine. And mm-hmm. I just yeah. love you how you are. And all of this is totally great. Yeah, so. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a really, the reason why I think so many queer folks are also disabled or are aware of disability is because in large part, because queerness and disability exist in the same framework of this kind of social constructed inaccessibility and at the same time, the miraculous capacity for love and care and self-worth within those spaces. And the thing is, once you start really strongly looking at what is your relationship to your body on one axis, you're going to start looking at your relationship to your body on other axes. And like, I think that there is this kind of, I think there is this pressure oftentimes that is this focus on getting better. And I think overwhelmingly when you apply that to people where like when, I don't know, I guess one thing I've been thinking a lot about is just how getting better is so thoroughly a construction in that like being disabled is a spot everyone will experience. Like we will all be disabled at some point or another. If if it doesn't happen one way or the other, you will grow old. And that the model of getting better is in a large part about, has much more to do with extracting value from you than it does from loving yourself or from people being able to love you. Yeah, we are all only temporarily able-bodied, yeah. Totally. This is why universal basic income is so important. As a good, <laughs> yes, the start. <laughs> do you, does, now, okay, so I think I've read mm-hmm. at least the first 17 pages of Wanderhome. 
And then I've mm-hmm. perused some of the playbooks and some of the mm-hmm. natures and haven't mm-hmm. read all of them. Do you think Haith has UBI? Haith has a culture of hospitality. And I think that UBI is a, a structural substitute for a culture of hospitality. That when your like goal and desire as a community is to make sure everyone is loved, then people are cared for. And when you don't have that... We need some kind of structural way to simulate that, in which case UBI kind of steps in that role. Hate does not have money, so it doesn't have UBI. Love not tracking money. Yes. It's great. Yeah. And that's my perspective. And because also hate is very different. Not to be, not to break out my high school Marxist uh, analysis (laughs) of fantasy settings. Hate is a fantasy setting that is in a very different relationship to capitalism than 21st century the 21st century developed world is and it's a very that also means a very different social relationship mm-hmm. but i think if you want your hate to have ubi you can i think my hate does not the idea of having ubi is the same level of like distant as the same way you don't need like a people's army this is something that i'm i advocate for in in 21st century america perhaps perhaps i argue for a a people's militia or what have you but yeah in antifa militia etc but i wouldn't advocate that for that in my fast in my pastoral fantasy rabbit world Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i feel similarly about ubi yeah i hear that that makes total sense to me about seven minutes ago johnny said in chat some parts of Haith feel like a post-apocalyptic setting, but like in a... Yeah, it actually was post-apocalyptic. When I first wrote, when I wrote the very first draft of the first page, I wrote that first page and then I went, it's March of 2021. Sorry, oh, no. it's March of 2020. It's March of 2020. I cannot write a post-apocalyptic game in March of 2020. Yeah, no kidding. Um, <laughs> like beyond whether or not people want it i don't want it i don't want to read it i don't want to play it uh so i i brutal enough <laughs> exactly there was i so really what it was so i just at that point sat down and was like what here is the important part what am i actually writing why when i write that it's post-apocalyptic what am i actually saying mm-hmm. and so i identified what was actually important to me when i described something as post-apocalyptic and used that as my framework instead but it, it did come from a place of post-apocalypse it did come from uh, a desire to build something better on the ruins of the old it was born from that impulse that is such a fun piece of trivia well, there's that. a lot of there's a lot of fun little pieces of trivia in the book. Um trying to think of my favorite. Oh, the cat in the illustration for the Guardian is a real person's cat. That's a cute one. That one came up in the Wired magazine article. Yeah, there's a backer messaged us like, hey, could I have my cat in the book? She means a lot to me. I is there a tier I can back to to have that? We're like, we can't do this for everyone, we'll but we'll do this for you. Uh, and so the backer donated two hundred to an animal sanctuary, and we put his cat in the back of the book. Oh my god, I could cry over that. That's so cute mm-hmm. and sweet. I love how much like heart went into the making of this game, and it sounds like a lot of people really needed that like wholesome sweetness, and so there was just an outpouring of love and support. Yeah, people were really excited for it, which was really beautiful and unexpected and thrilling. Certainly it was beyond what we anticipated by an order of magnitude, at least. But it was really amazing. I think people really needed something like it. I think that also it appealed to a lot of folks who had never thought about games in that way before. And so it, it stuck a key into a lot of people's minds. And that's, that's the important part. 
And our future projects hope to continue that energy, bring it in new ways, et cetera. I'm interested in multiple things. I'm interested. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you are allowed to talk about future projects, but I'm interested in hearing about that if you're allowed to. I, I can talk a bit about it. I, I can. Okay. There's a little bit I can reveal. Um. Okay. <laughs> I'm also interested in queer summer camp and talking about sleepaway and talking about queer disability and being a small press publisher. So there's like All a right, lot of good. so right, many threads. So many threads. Which one <laughs> we should our, we do first? It's your. You're the host. I'm just along for the ride. I'll put on my little cap and you take me where you want to take me. Um, All right, let's we'll save the future for the end then. Okay, sounds good. It's a little a way to trick people into lingering so they hear more about you save this bed and breakfast. <laughs> Can you tell us about working at a queer summer camp? I imagine that maybe influence sleep away eventually. Or like go down that path for a little while. From 2009 to 2020, I've stopped working there because of my health. But for more than a decade, I worked at a, a summer camp, a LARP summer camp, live action role play summer camp uh, in upstate New York for queer teenagers called among and other teenagers as well. Large queer population called the Wayfinder Experience. And that's where I got my start with doing a lot of trauma healing work and also with game design work. That's that that's where I had my first ever experience experience role-playing as a consciously as opposed to just the games that kids play. I remember getting held by like crying in Brendan Lee Mulligan's arms while while being chased by a sludge monster. And yeah, very, so very, wait, you, you went, know. You went to summer camp with Brendan Lee Mulligan? He was my counselor when I was a kid. Wow. Yeah. He taught me how to LARP in effect. And if you read Sleepaway, Sleepaway, it was my first release. It is one of my personal favorite games, although it is, it's definitely my first game. It has a little bit of that first game quality, but it's my favorite little, it's one of my favorite little children. And it's all about, it's a horror game set at a queer summer camp, much like the one I went to. And if you know where to look and who to look for, you'll see Brennan, you'll see Molly Ostertag, you'll see my business partner, Grubby, you'll see a lot of folks in there. Yeah. Um, I, working with kids is very humbling from a game designer perspective. Working with queer kids is very humbling from a queer person perspective. Working with them both teaches you how to write games on a level that like nothing else will. Like nothing is a better boot camp than having to run LARPs for teens. Wow, totally. Mm -hmm. I, I tried to get my son to play your game and he decided that if there's no fighting, he's not interested. Wonder Home's not a good game for younger boys, which is okay. I've never really been good at writing for younger boys anyway. <laughs> there are there are, there are other very good games for younger boys. One of the things that I really admire about children is if they don't want to play a game, they simply won't. I think that is a, a remarkable talent that I wish more adults knew how to do. Really? Kids are very bright that way. Kids are very bright in a number of ways, and among them that. I'm just... I'm so excited about it. I want everyone to play with me. So I was like, oh, kid. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Logan Chairs, mm -hmm. my partner's son is 11 and he loves Water Home to bits. Hey, that rules too. Look, I'm not saying that it's not for young boys. I'm just saying I don't know how to write for young boys. <laughs> so if I, I, there are always more people who enjoy what I create than I can anticipate, but I, I also completely understand when someone doesn't want to play. I, I get it. I'm, I understand. I have I too have games I don't want to play. <laughs> uh, I like to joke that the journeying tools in Wander Home are just like good bits of life advice that are just things that kids just know how to say. And if you're not a kid, you need a reminder. Yeah. 
I love that. What is your favorite location at camp? At a camp, at a camp place, a summer. Suddenly, all the locations run through my mind. There was this the camp where I learned how to be a staff in training. The camp where I, I, I bit my teeth on being a teenager, 15, 16, 17 years old, was out deep, deep in the middle of the woods, like an hour's drive away from the nearest a small city, like two hours away from the, the camp headquarters. This little valley with a circular lake in the middle. And all the camp buildings dotted around the edges, but mostly woods. And it was a very bad place to run a summer camp because at night the woods would get dark and there was, there was very little lighting and there were long paths you had to wander. And if you if a kid knew what they were doing, they knew how to sneak through the woods faster than any counselor could and get from one building to the other, like a stupid, useless speeds and dash along. But it was a great spot to run LARPs for exactly all the reasons I just said. And it was also a great spot to be a camper for all the reasons I just said. And I remember watching, I remember one night I had to sneak from back when they, when they, when they would put me with the in the boys' bunks, they didn't know what to do with me. And then I had to sneak over to the gender neutral bunk because there was a gender neutral bunk. It was a long That's story. Cool. I was, it was before anyone knew what to do with anyone. So it was like a very little, it was a very interesting little thing, but I just, I, you know, they didn't know what to do with me. So they put me in the boys bunk and I had, I, it was three in the morning and I, I snuck from one to the other to visit my friend. And when I got there, my friend had fallen asleep. So I ended up just sitting by the water, by the circular basin of a lake and the way it sounds was that it echoed very perfectly. Mm-hmm. It was like a giant echo. Mm-hmm. And so sitting by the water and listening and watching the fireflies and the stars and the echo. And yeah, that's where I think I learned how to be a person and how to listen to the world. Lake docks are also my favorite place at camp, especially around dusk or just after Mm -hmm. dusk, if you have a little lantern with you. Mm -hmm, For sure. You could turn it off and have the moon come out and adjust to the sounds, but you still have Mm -hmm. it just in case. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I remember uh, one time there was one game that was set in this village overrun by these magical plagues. And the way to cure it was summer. The plant of summer was growing too virulently and it was growing over itself and growing over itself. And someone had to go and find the spirit of the forest and, and plant the seed of winter where summer was growing so that summer could finally die and winter could be, the tree of winter could grow. And then someone had to get married over the plant by the forest spirit. And the whole night, there was speakers set up on the dock echoing this, like, this beautiful atonal flute music and, like, distant storms echoing across the lake. And because of, I said, it's a basin, so it reverberates. So the sound reverberated everywhere you went. There was this sort of endless rhythm. And we finally, and, and we finally get to where the god of the forest is, who's this figure in this giant, deer head with these huge antlers and the antlers hanging strips of paper and the deer god gives them the seed of winter and they plant the seed and just as the two people are getting married over are getting married it starts to rain as the seed is lowered into the ground and the marriage ceremony begins it starts to rain and the distant rain of the speakers gets drowned out by the real rain and then it comes crashing down very perfectly and that's what it's like to to play games when the land knows how to play I love including the land in games, and mm-hmm. now I will mm-hmm. always include the land in games. Yeah, I've, I I grew up learning. It's it's different with tabletop, but definitely when I if I do still LARP, which it's been a hot second, but when I play a game with the land, you got you want to invite the land, you want to say thank you to the land for playing with us. That's mm-hmm. important. What are That's some important. ways that you say thank you? 
What else you, know, you have to say thank you? You say it. You leave little offerings. Um, you listen. Listening is one of the greatest gifts you can give anyone, including the land. You watch it. You notice what used to be there, learning about the history of the land, learning about who properly actually stewards it is a way of giving a gift to the land and following its wishes and following kind of the rhythms it gives you is how you say thanks to it. Love that. Yeah. I, the first time I went to a queer witch camp, I lost my piece of red carnelian that I brought that I really loved. It had this Mm -hmm. great stripe running through it. Mm -hmm. And I decided that was just an offering to the land in addition to the other intentional offerings Mm -hmm. that I left. That was my unintentional Mm -hmm. offering. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. That's cool. I love that you brought that up. That's really lovely. Yeah, for sure. Is there anything else you want to share about Sleepaway or how you got into or learned about tabletop role-playing game design? I I played my first tabletop game like in in 2015, which means I, I started playing about five or six years after I had started you know, playing games, I finally learned how to play tabletop games. And it was Monster Hearts. And I played Monster Hearts. And then I played Dungeons and Dragons 4th Edition. And then it was like, at that point, I was already just so desynchronized from what everyone else was doing. Sleepaway was my first, it was my first Kickstarter. It was my first time doing a Kickstarter. It's, I wouldn't be here without its success. And it's a very special, wonderful game. Even if horror is not your cup of tea, which it's not for many people, I think it also does a very good job with a gender in a way that's very special. It has, uh, what do you call, it takes on an approach to gender that actually went viral on TikTok for a bit there six or so months ago because people really got into the list of gender options, which is that when you make a character, it asks you to describe your gender and none of the gender words have anything to do with how we frame a gender. It's all, are you describe your gender, health goth, eagle, none of your business, <laughs> overwhelming, vacant. It's a gender that's disconnected from our models of gender. And people like that a lot. And I'm really proud of that in that game as well. Like today's gender is lion emoji and a Pikachu. Yeah, yeah. It's very, <laughs> um, it's focused on gender is, gender is about an association with yourself. Gender is a matrix by which you can understand your world and the symbols that you associate with your world. And sometimes those genders are the arbitrary categorizations that society presents to us. And sometimes it's useful to look at them through other lenses. And my favorite bit always with Sleepaway is how much cis people like that presentation of gender. It's interesting to see cis people who are like, oh, my gender is boring. And then you're like, okay, but pick a gender, pick a gender though. And then they're looking at the list and they're like, oh, my gender is a lighthouse over the sea. And it's now, was your gender so boring? Was it Was it really? Or did you just grow up being told your gender is boring? I'm just grinning over here. I remember those sort of listicle things. Can you tell us about your experience with queer disability? So I have been queer for a while and I've been disabled for a while. And I've been aware of both of those for less than I've been either. I've been aware I've been queer for a while. But I think we talked a bit about queer disability before. I think queerness and disability go hand in hand much more than people realize it does. I think that when you talk about queerness in games, you also want to talk about disability in games. I think I think that the way in which 
we frame disability as secretly often very unproductive. I hope that a changing world means that we're going to see some dramatically different perspectives on disability, but it's one of those things that's all around us and also very hard for people to talk about. And so I try to, there's a lot of work just as much as there was work done in Wander Home to make it feel accessibility for queer accessible for queerness. There's also a lot of work done to make sure it felt accessible for folks with mobility aids or fatigue Uh, or what have you. There's a lot of different levels on that front. This is not related to your content, but I know there's been a combat wheelchair that's come out that everyone's been very excited about for the last year or so. Oh, Um, yeah, yeah, that's neat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think it's awfully neat. I think Dungeons & Dragons, even, I think Dungeons & Dragons is still on a philosophical level, very built on an anti, sort of on a, abled centric mindset but i love kind of disabled folks taking it and making their own it's still not dnd is not for me but i really admire when folks go in there and are like hey i will make this my own thing mm-hmm. i will build my own structure in there yeah i stopped playing and streaming dnd last december because of how bad they are at racism <laughs> Yeah, for sure. That's a, and the thing about racism and disability is that when you see something that's bad at handling disability, oftentimes very bad at handling racism. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Turns out those things and also queerness, all those things tend to go hand in hand. And I love how with Wanderhome, you're like, okay, all the player characters are animals. Like (laughs) that sort of removes any of the, at least Mm -hmm. to my assessment, and maybe Mm -hmm. I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong, but Mm -hmm. to my assessment that removes a lot Mm -hmm. or all of the racism Mm -hmm. concern i think that it's impossible when you're dealing with white folks and certainly even with myself i i worked with consultants for this reason but like certainly like i think that racism as a social structure is one that can i think that oh making your characters animals isn't necessarily enough to actually undermine structurally the force that is racism in kind of the internalized racism that folks bring to, well, especially white people bring to the table. But I do think part of the impulse for animal folk and treating animal folk in a way that's not Zootopia, right? Because animal, the idea of playing animals can be very regressive. When you, mm. when you use animals, when you try to use animals to talk about racism, like when Zootopia tries to talk about racism, it immediately stumbles and falls on its face because it turns... Uh, race into a question of how do we accept these biological differences? And that's not what race is. Race is a question of power. And Wanderhome, I think, I hope, puts it in such a way where if, like, where it is, we're tackling, oh, like, I, I hope that it brings it into a space that is easier to pin down. Like, I, I, I like to think of the advantage of animal folk it's not so much that you can eradicate these social dynamics because they come from the people at the table. But I hope that by making folks animals, it can almost put it down on the table in a way without putting it down on the table. Like you're not being like, before we play, we must discuss societal trauma, which is a pretty awful way to, you know, frame stuff. Like just because it, it puts people, you know, in a spot where they're like, someone says that to me, I don't want to discuss it. Um, but making them animals, I hope, and taking the approach Wander Home does, I hope, gives you the space to now analyze it. And Allenbach, as you say, with biological determinism, yeah, that's what I mean when I say that animal folk are not, like, animal folk are not, their bodies are not free of political 
connotations, both on the red wall level, which are, yes, it's specious, it's also racist. Like those rats are representatives of non-white cultures. <laughs> you read the red wall books as an adult and it's not fun. You will mm-hmm. uh, really feel the fact that Brian Jacques is a fundamentalist Christian. Mm-hmm. It really comes through in a couple of those books. That's why I get a little prickly when people are like, oh, Wanderhome is the red wall game. And I'm like, no, I don't wanna be the Brian Jacques game. That dude was pretty awful. I think I, I take little bits and pieces without being bound to Brian Jock's worldview that biological determinism is the metric by which you can determine human worth and that you can determine some lives are worth more than others based on their inbuilt capacity to cause harm to others. Yeah, I appreciate the distinction you bring. Anything else on the topic of queer disability and race and racism in tabletop games before we move on to small press publishing? Small press publishing. Let's go on right ahead. Okay. So also, I'm holding my laptop like this because a sitting up got to be too much, but I, I really it gives me a... appreciate the self-care you're doing right now. Yeah. Hell yeah. I have four mm-hmm. questions left. Sounds good. Okay, cool. So for those looking into getting into small press publishing, how did you get started and what do you wish you'd known from the... So I got started because when I did Sleepaway, I realized I needed a a separate spot to put the money. I couldn't just keep it all in my personal banking account. And so I made a DBA and then it kind of all went from there. Things I wish I knew from the start. Just first off, make a business structure far sooner than you think you have to. If you don't have a name, maybe don't bother, but it won't hurt to nail down something. Like, it won't hurt to have a little something of a structure. Like an LLC or something? Yeah, an LLC or even a DBA is good. It depends on what, what your local laws are and how expensive various things are for you. But have a little structure. It will make your life a lot easier in the future than if you try to operate it all on a personal level. I think also having a friend is good. (laughs) Doing it alone is really soul sucking. And I couldn't have done any of this without my business partner. So that's the thing I wish I'd known from the beginning is have a friend involved. Yeah. Honestly, a big part of my ability to continue (laughs) as a Twitch streamer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. um, Is my friend Mirami, who's modding the chat right now. Mirami helps do all the bots and all the backend Discord things. And Mm -hmm. like we meet once a week and just talk about how the whole thing is going. And so I really feel it's our channel, not just my channel. Yeah. Because we work together on it. I'm just the quadruple Mm -hmm. Leo who like has a face. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Of course. No offense. Of course you're a quadruple Leo. I fully, that, that fits together. I love that. Yes, you getting random mm-hmm. Twitter DMs from me. Hey, I just said top surgery. You're cool. Do you want to talk sometime? <laughs> you sent that pretty quickly after you got top surgery. Also, you reached out to me. It's true. I think was I like... was. I think I was courageous because I was mm-hmm. still on the pain meds, and I was like, yes, nothing sure. matters. That, that, mm-hmm. that that's when it's easiest to reach out for sure, for sure. And mm-hmm. you were so kind and like open. That was the best yeah. part. It's like you weren't like oh, you're just like oh yeah, totally. Yeah. It was like we we're already friends. The way yeah, you responded. It was I, so I nice. try for that. I try for that. Yeah. You succeeded that, Jay. It's so cool. I love it so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So the one of the special things that's been happening on the channel the last month and probably for a couple mm-hmm. more streams is Mirami has been producing 
and playing the video games. And I've just been mm-hmm. like in Discord talking or only in the Twitch chat sort of typing oh, wonderful. while yeah. I recover. And so people who, mm-hmm. you know, for the last 15 months have no idea who Mirami is, have been getting to know Mirami mm-hmm. a little bit. And that's been fun. That rules. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That really rules. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. I love having a friend. That's really great advice that I completely agree mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look, like the thing is, like having a friend is the sort of thing where it's will that cover you for will you encounter issues as a small business owner? Yes. Will having a friend make them solvable issues? Also, yes. <laughs> yeah, totally. And someone who's been invested enough to like have the whole context, have all the information, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Not just like high person like high therapist or high person who doesn't know mm-hmm, the details. Mm-hmm. Let me spend an hour catching up on all this and then we yeah, can talk absolutely. about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's very cool stuff. Jay, can you share a moment of gender euphoria? Here's an interesting one that I think is probably not what most people think of when they think about gender euphoria. Pretty recently I was driving back in my car from something or another. And I was, I think it was like a failed Tinder date or something. And I was thinking about how people perceive me. And I think for a long time, I had struggled a lot with kind of attractiveness because I think attractiveness is oftentimes, attractiveness is the loaded gun in queer spaces, right? Is that it's the thing everyone wants and it's the thing everyone is really scared they don't have uh, and are really scared to see, but are, Mm. are desperate for. And a lot of the way in which queerness is discussed is through the model of attractiveness. And I've always hated that. (laughs) It's part of what, it it kept me in the closet for a bit longer than I wanted it to. It's also, I think, shaped my life experiences. It's led me to do a lot of stupid things in the Mm. name of attractiveness. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I was getting older and I'm not that old. I'm still very young comparatively, but I realized I was getting older. And I think critically, I realized what growing older would mean, what the passage of time refers to when it talks Mm. about when when you conceptualize getting older, you know, and I, a wave of incredible relief washed over me to realize that I would get to have so much time being someone who is being, I get to have so much time being old and how it means that in a sense, it is, it's so much time to be me and also it is so much time away from attractiveness. It's so much time where that is not the framework. And I realized, I was like, oh, that's what I'm looking forward to. And I, I it was this moment of euphoria that comes through realizing like, oh, like I could spend <laughs> my entire life mad at myself that I don't have as great tits as I did when I was 15 years old. Or I can be happy to be to when I think about how do I want people to see me when they look at me what are the other things I care about because it's not actually do they want to do they think I'm attractive that's not what it's ever been about it's do they respect me do they find me interesting do they find me engaging do they find me do they think that I know what I'm talking about do they do they find me intimidating maybe do they what is it that I actually want and what I realized is that it has very little to do with attractiveness and that I am very close to being where I want to be yeah. I love that. I It reminds me of when we were talking about how you're kind of Baba Yaga in the woods. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I am. Like, I have. I'm the ant. 
Yeah, Baba Yaga gives no fucks about attractiveness. I saved yeah, that exactly. F-bomb for right there. <laughs> that was the one F-bomb. We can't, <laughs> we can't, we can't use it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love that. All right. The question on everyone's mind is, what's next? You've already made at least two cool games. And you're making something else. Like you said mm-hmm. to you, Wander Home, that was back in December. And now you're on to your next thing. Now it's October yeah. of the next mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What are you allowed to so, tell? First off, we have a Kickstarter coming in a week. Okay. It's a smaller Kickstarter. I'm doing it with my friend who I mentioned earlier, <laughs> uh, Jamila Najati. It's for Our Haunt, which is a found family game about ghosts. It's also B.O.B. It's very sweet. It's very wonderful. It has art by the incomparable Habil Firdaus. It is very delightful. I will send you the link real quick so that you can drop it in chat. I know, a week! Logan, I feel the same way. I didn't realize that until just now. I guess I have to tweet about it more. Is, I, I tweeted about it. Is that it, why you were know. like, please interview me sooner than later? Uh, yes, partially, because I know that I am also <laughs> because get I busy. get very... Uh, yeah, I did get busy and I also get busy in ways I can't predict. So if I do an interview, I like to do it now as opposed to in a month from now when I will forget that we agreed to do an interview at all. Additionally, in March of 2022, we are doing Yuzeba's Bed and Breakfast, which is the thing that I have been involved in. It's a project that I've been working on with a team and we've been working on it since October 2019. This thing has been a long time coming. It is a very beautiful, wonderful game about a found family of magical, beautiful beings living at a bed and breakfast run by a heartless witch. It is nothing like you've ever seen before. I can't, I can tell you a few things. The Ashcan is out now and I'll also send you the link to the Ashcan, which is the the PDF uh, document that people can check out now. And I will show you the link real quick. Here you go. Here it is. And that is, the art is so delightful. Uh, The art is by Esther Santiago, uh, who is the concept artist for the game. And don't worry, Logan, Yazeba Yazeba are all valid pronunciations. As long as you get the Z and then the B, you're good. Yazeba's Bed and Breakfast. Uh, There are a few things you can see in that ash can that kind of let you in on some of my favorite bits. It uses pre-made characters and short episodic storytelling in order to start you you wanted a game you can play in two hours here's a game you can learn the rules to and play and feel satisfied with in less than two hours it's a very quick delightful game that has the ability to it takes an hour to play and then the decisions you make will impact the game for the rest for forever so it 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 shapes itself with everyone who plays that. And it's a very special, wonderful game. And I am so excited for Yuzeba's Bed and Breakfast. It's the thing. Again, we've all been working on it for two years now, and I am so hyped for folks to get their hands on it. So that's the big thing to keep an eye out. March, 2022, Yuzeba's Bed and Breakfast. Oh, this is so fun. Mm -hmm. I just love this creature eating cake. I know that's Hey Kid. They are the demon. They're they are a demon that was left on the front door as a baby, and have grown up at the bed and breakfast. And they are a rambunctious little demon child who, yeah, among other things, steals cake. That's so wonderful. I love Mm -hmm. it so much. Mm -hmm. So if we want to get 
like updates on all this stuff, we should go mm-hmm. to your website. We should follow you on itch. We should follow mm-hmm. you on Kickstarter. Follow, follow me Twitter. on Twitter. Follow my Twitter. Follow my Twitter. Follow me on follow me on Twitter. Go to our website and subscribe to our mailing list is always a good bet. Subscribe to our Patreon. We have a Patreon Discord where we do playtests and we do day-by-day exciting stuff, share first looks, share exclusive games that have not come out anywhere else. There's a few games that are on our Patreon that have not come out anywhere else, including among them a queer Norse tactical grid-based combat game. Oh no, that one made it into the world. Never mind. But there's also a Dark Academia game. There is a game about five teenagers fighting the endless wolves. There is all sorts of weird games from the tiny and unplayable to the sprawling and impossible. We try and do a lot of different stuff at Fossil Creek Games. You can check it all out on our Patreon, on our website, uh, on our Itch.io page, on our Twitter. And yeah, thank you. I love that so much. Okay, mm-hmm. the last sort of bio question, biography question I have is, mm-hmm. what would you like to make sure folks know about your perspective on gender and non-binary slash trans issues? What a question. What a, a quick, oh, and by the way, what would you like carved into your tombstone kind of question? What do I want? What do I want on there? Oh, Lord. Um, <laughs> That's how I like uh, to close things out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want, I don't know what I want people to know about me. I guess what I want everyone else to know is that gender and games have a lot in common. They are both systems. And the thing that is true of all games and also true of all gender is that the moment you think you've figured out the limits to it, there is always someone who's going to come along and do things in a way you won't expect and surprise you. And you can't uh, settle down and get comfortable with how you think things should be done because there will always be someone who does things differently than you. And the great beauty of it all is not to reject that, but not to enforce orthodoxy, but instead to embrace the limitless capacity of the human mind to experience things differently than you could thought possible. That's my feeling on it. That's so wonderful. Are there any other resources you want to make sure we get listed on our show notes or spoken out loud for folks to know about? Is there any other cool tabletop stuff that's going on that there probably is? I've also been on the call for almost three hours, so if, or almost two hours. So if there are, I've I I don't remember them anymore. <laughs> and if you think uh, of them later, you can send them to me. I'll add them to the oh, show for notes for sure. Uh, as always, I think I do my best to retweet stuff as much as I can of cool stuff going on in the scene. But Logan's game is really gosh darn, I can say, take the Lord's name in vain. Logan's game is really goddamn exciting. What else is really exciting? There's a lot of great stuff. Logan's game is really trans. Oh, yeah. Because it's an autobiography of a trans man. Let's go. Almost caught me slipping. But yeah, yeah. Keep an eye out for all the cool stuff in the world. There is so much out there that is exciting and thrilling. And every single day, I think I know all the cool stuff. And it turns out there's more cool stuff that I wasn't prepared for. Yeah. All right. This has been a total delight. Thank you all so much for having me. A hundred percent. And everyone, Jay is very nice and you should totally support Jay and Possum Creek Games in all of the endeavors that those entities do. No pronouns. Put a little respect on the name. That's what I'm talking about. But put a little stumble in your step and keep you off your toes. Put a little Exactly. That's how I like to see my pronouns used. (laughs) (laughs) I love it so much. Mm -hmm. 